Welcome to the Sermon of the Week podcast. In this week's episode, Pastor Ben Davis starts a series on family with a message on the importance of marriage. We're going to begin a series um, that will last all of September on, uh, on free-to-be family and family series. It's a good time to talk about that as people are kind of getting back in school and and starting all of those kinds of routines uh, again. And so uh, today we're going to talk about marriage matters, and then uh, next week we'll talk about chasing children, and then we'll talk about borders and boundaries. And, you know, borders and boundaries is always fun. I'm an empty nester now and and uh, grandparent for the first time. And, you know, all those borders and boundaries, they change. you got to re-relate to family. You know, nothing is static with God, is it? it it's a... It's, you go through different stages of life, and you have to re-relate to family. And then uh, September 20th, we'll have Church on the Lawn again. Pastor Jared will preach that service. And then on the 27th, we'll be back with fun and finances in our families. Fun and finances. So today we're talking about um, marriage matters. And um, have you ever experienced a rule? I'm still getting that feedback. I don't know if where that's coming from, Matt. But uh, have you ever experienced that... Uh, a time whenever you had a set of rules that were birthed out of a relationship, but then the relationship changed, but the rules didn't change, so the rules are out of date with the relationship. Has anybody else experienced something like that? I mean, that, that happens, right? And that's because we as people have a tendency to hold on to the rules longer than the relationship. That actually, I, you know, government is the worst at this. I think government is the absolute worst, uh, uh, you know, transgressor of this. And I think the church is the number two worst at this. But, um, but I used to work, ironically, I worked for these two institutions. I, I, I started my career in government, and now I work in the church. And um, what I learned when I, uh, in government, I worked in the state agency called Division of Family Services, and I was a social worker. And, and um, as a social worker... You're supposed to be helping people with their relationships. That's because our job was to take in these broken families that had been broken to the level that there was abuse or neglect in the children. And then we were to try to go in and repair the relationships so that out of those healthier relationships, then the uh, neglect and the abuse would stop in the family. And so um, we got that job, but to do that job, they kept up coming out with manual after manual of manual of rules. And it got to where, you know, we had those old style big desks, you know, they gave us. Praise the Lord, that was good because we needed all that. And, and the reason we needed all that is they gave you so many manuals you had to sit on your desk. Every worker got, got a copy of these manuals. And it took up a full 25% of your desk, just those manuals lined across. The, and there was so much, no one read them all. And what we noticed is, is that even as it was a changing environment of helping families, the rules didn't change. They just kept adding rules. And so that's the environment that Jesus was in as well. And so in that environment, what happened was there were some people that were questioning him 
on the rules and he tried to take the conversation and turn it into relationship, which, by the way, I encourage you to do. Has anybody else noticed that uh, we are in a time of severe strife in our country? Division, separation, all of those negative words. You know, the secret to sharing Jesus with people is taking all of that and refusing to engage with it. And instead... Find a way to transfer that conversation over to relationship with Jesus and relationship with each other. And if you can steer that conversation over, you'll have a more productive conversation. Well, let's read what happened here in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus was on the scene and he was changing all the rules because he was changing the relationship. And he was changing the way that God was relating to man and man was relating to God. It says in verse 1, Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of the Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. See, he was changing the relationship between God and man where they were going to begin to see God as a healer, and they were going to re relate that way, and God was going to reach in, and he was actually doing miracle healing. So he healed them there. So the rule keepers, better known as the Pharisees, came to him and tested him, asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife? for any cause. Now, I want you to capture the environment. It'll help us um, in the teaching this morning. Notice the environment. Jesus is healing people. Well, psychologists and sociologists tell us today that uh, well over 50% of the things that people need to be healed of, some would go up to say as high as 95% of our problems, of our physical problems that we need healing from, have their root in relationship. In other words, broken relationships, relationships with strife, moms and dads and family and children and wives and husbands, where those relationships aren't right, it produces physical illness in our bodies. And that's because of these um, hormones that God has made us with. When our relationships are right, the, the positive hormones go off. And when our relationships are wrong, the negative hormones go off. And, it, and they actually cause our body to, dis, to go into dysfunction. So Jesus was healing all of that. And in the midst of that, the rule keepers are always more interested in the rules than they are the relationships. So they tried to turn the conversation to something like this. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, I want to encourage you, when you read this passage in your Bible, Matthew 19, the heading is going to mislead you. It's an added heading from English translations. And it's going to say something like, teachings on divorce. And that is not what's going on here. The reason it does that is, is that here we are 2,000 years later, and what do we crave more than anything? The rules again. Why do we always want the rules? That's because once we learn the rules, we play by the rules, and we learn to cheat the rules. 
And the more we learn to cheat the rules, we get ahead, right? And, but God is always drawing us back to relationship with Him and relationship with each other. And so this teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew 19 is not about divorce. It's about a rich, fulfilling, happy, healthy, amazing, wonderful, best thing God ever created marriage. Now, would you rather talk about the rules for divorce? Let's take a little vote. Would you rather talk We'll call you the A-team. Would you rather talk about the rules of divorce or would you rather talk about a rich, fulfilling, happy, healthy, amazing, wonderful, best thing God ever created in marriage? How many of you would rather that one? Yeah. Okay. Are the rest of you the divorce people? You, you want to talk about the rules of divorce? Okay. So, no, Jesus is like, you know, that's not where we want to go. So let's move over to the subject of how to have a happy, healthy, fulfilling, amazing, best thing God ever created marriage. And it is. I'm here to tell you this morning that apart from receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, that's the best decision I ever made. But the second best decision after that was getting married to my wife. Hope you can have the same testimony and if you can't, get on your knees before the Lord and start repenting. And God will give you that testimony. So let's get into Matthew 19 and Jesus' teaching on marriage. Matthew 19, 4. He's going to change the conversation from the rule keepers. And he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, Jesus is pulling from the book of Genesis, going all the way back to Moses' writing. And the first principle we learn about marriage is that marriage is about making the most out of opposites that attract. Have you guys noticed that marriage is usually made up of opposites that attract? I used to play with magnets as a kid. Anybody else play with magnets as a kid? Now, this was before all of the video games and those things. But, um, you know, it's one of the best presents you could buy me whenever I was a kid was magnets. And the more powerful, the better. In other words, I like the, I like the really strong ones. And so we would actually build things out of magnets and scrap metal that we found. And what we learned was is that opposites attract, you know. And, of course, then every kid tries it, you know. You get as strong as magnet as you can. And what you do is you test your strength by putting two of the same polarizations together and they just push away from each other, right? So you, if you push them hard enough, you can get them together. Well, in marriage, opposites attract. And so that's why Jesus said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, the fact that that was written in the book of Matthew, which was written about 2,000 years ago, and that he's quoting from Genesis that was written 3,500 years ago, tells us that the question of men and women in marriage is at least 3,500 years old. And God, he established it at least 3,500 years ago that marriage is man and woman, and they are opposite, and they are meant to attract to each other. 
Now, have you noticed that, that, uh, uh, that men and women are different? Have you, like there was the book out in my era, it was men are from Mars and women, from, women are from Venus. You know, I never read the book. I just saw the title. I said, well, that's true. <laughs> you know, they could have picked any two planets as long as they were different planets. <laughs> have you ever noticed that, uh, that, that men and women often think differently? My wife and I, um, uh, she got a book that she started reading and, uh, and started telling me what was in it. And I don't remember the name of the book, but the thing that I got from the book was that men often think like a waffle box. And women often think like a spaghetti box. Oh, is that the title? That little thought process set me free. You know why? That's because I was assuming she thought like I did. Meaning that I've got my waffles in a nice little compartment. And so I'm able to think in this compartment and keep that compartment separate from this compartment. So I'm able to compartmentalize everything. And the result is that when I'm on this issue, I'm not on that issue. But what I learned from that is that women are more like spaghetti. Their thoughts all just kind of intertwine and run together. It took me a long time to figure this out. That they're not compartmentalizing this thought without thinking about that thought. Their spaghetti's running together at all times. Of course, then that begs the question, how do you live with that kind of brain going off in your body? It, it, it takes a very gifted person to do it. But you know, once you learn that simple truth... In a culture of honor, and we are in a culture of honor, you know what you learn to do? All right. You think like a bunch of spaghetti that's all intertwined. How can I honor that? Rather than trying to convert you over into my waffle box. Men, I'm here to tell you, if you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to convert your wife over into your waffle box, you're going to be a very frustrated person. Women... Don't try to convert the men over into your spaghetti box. You're going to be a very frustrated wife. Just learn to honor each other and you'll do better. Right? And so, so just think that way. And in other words, it's okay to say, you know what? I'm in my box and I'm, and, and I'm not thinking about those things, but I honor you knowing that you are. That's okay. Right? I've also noticed that, um, you know, often men like to fix things. God built in us the DNA to fix things. But have you noticed that often women don't want things fixed? They just want you to hear them and have compassion and empathy on what they're thinking. And so your wife will start talking and, and she'll, she'll share a problem she's going through. And within 30 seconds, you've got the solution to that problem. Praise the Lord. So within 30 seconds, you interrupt her and say, well, honey, if you'll do this, that problem will go away. And of course, at that point, you need marriage counseling from our professional marriage counselors. <laughs> and so what you learn to do is honor the fact that she's telling you that because she wants to be heard, not because she wants you to fix it. Now, praise the Lord. Then what happens is you go to the other side and she tells you about the doorknob that doesn't work and you think she just wants to be heard. No, she wants the doorknob fixed. 
See, opposites attract. And so the greatest encouragement I have for you in marriage is this. Study the man or the woman that God has given you. You need to study them, and I'm talking about study them for the rest of your life. And the reason being is that they are a changing creature. And if you're not studying them, you are getting left behind. Praise the Lord. So what you have to learn to do is study your spouse so that you can honor them better and learn to love them better. Now, normally, before I preach, what I like to do is I like to have a, a good amount of consistency in my own lifestyle before I preach on a matter. But if I did that on the subject of marriage, I'd never preach on marriage. <laughs> so I'm a work in progress, but I'm constantly studying to learn how to love my wife better. And uh, I'm reminded of, of my early days and before I knew any of this. And um, when my wife and I were first married, you know, she was, she was a good, loving wife. She wanted to, to honor me. And I was an adventure seeker, as many of you know. So my family, we raised, you know what, where the closer you came to death, the more fun it was. So I took my wife on a rafting trip, a whitewater rafting trip up in the state of Washington. And I said, honey, you're going to love this. This is going to be awesome. So it was the biggest boat I'd ever been in. And I thought, well, this is going to be boring because, you know, we're in a big old boat. and It's self-bailing. You know, I, I was raised where you, you're in a little bitty boat that collects water and you got to dump it. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so... so and, and you, you, you crash at least four or five times in the river where somebody could have lost their life, and, but they didn't, and, and that's what fun was. So I took her on one of these, and it was a self-bailing raft, and it's all fine until we get to the waterfall. And my brother says, well, we're coming up to the waterfall, and if we want to take, get out, here's the place. And I say, nah, we can do it. So we take that self-bailing raft over the waterfall. We caught this on video, by the way. And we go over the waterfall, praise the Lord, we hit it just wrong. And I mean, that, that raft went under the water. The water came up and swept everybody out of that raft. And, you know, my miracle working God, what he did was, you know, you're in the water, you're under a waterfall, you lose all control. And there was an angel of the Lord that placed the rope into my hand in that environment. All I had to do was close, and I had the rope. That enabled me to pull on the rope and get back into the raft, praise the Lord. And I watched as my wife was swept downstream. There she goes. Isn't that something? The angel of the Lord rescued me, and there she goes. Now, why would the angel of the Lord rescue me and cause her to be the first one to go on down the river? <laughs> now, I came out of that saying, man, you know what? Almost everybody in our family died, but nobody did. Wasn't that awesome? She, on the other hand, got out of the boat, and my mom had to take her to find the nearest outdoor bathroom because she was having a panic attack. Now, why am I telling you this story? 
The angel of the Lord was trying to teach me, Ben, you married somebody that's different than you are. And she's been trying to honor your lifestyle. It might be time for you to start honoring her lifestyle. And a good marriage is going to work is when man and woman are going to study each other and learn to honor each other's likes and dislikes each other's preferences, and the way that God made you different. And if you'll do that, you'll have a healthy, fulfilling marriage. Matthew 19, 5, Jesus continues on, and he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So marriage is about molding two personalities into one. Would you say marriage is about molding two personalities into one? Now, have you ever noticed that, uh, that any time that you are molding something or shaping something, that it's an uncomfortable process? You know, where I was from, you'd have these rounded river rocks, and it took thousands of years to shape those perfectly rounded river rocks. And you don't get thousands of years. You just get a few years. For God to shape you and mold these two personalities into one. And I want to tell you right now, if you're in a marriage where what you're trying to do is let him have his personality and let him, her have her personality and live your separate lives, you're going to be unfulfilled and you're going to be disappointed. But if instead, if you will submit to the process of God shaping off the rough edges of your personality and then God shaping off the rough edges of her personality and letting the two become one, you'll have a much more fulfilling marriage. So let's look at the genesis of this because Jesus is actually quoting from Genesis again. And if we look at the Genesis story, what we find is this, is that God made creation. He made the birds and he said, oh yeah, that's good. Right? He made the grass. He said, oh, yeah, that's good. He made the oceans. He said, oh, that's good. He made the mountains. He said, oh, yeah, that's good. He made the sun. Oh, that's good. Then he made the moon. He said, oh, that's wonderful. And the stars, aren't they wonderful? And he made man, and he said, oh, that's good. And then God stopped to reflect and said, it's all good, except for one thing in his creation that was not good. It's really quite an amazing story when you read the first couple of chapters of Genesis that as God reflected, everything was good except for this one thing. He made man, and he kind of saw how man was functioning, and he said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so what he said is, I've got one thing in all of creation that's not good, so I need to remedy this situation. So the scripture says he put Adam to sleep, took a rib out of his body, and made Eve. And when Adam woke up, he saw Eve, and they were both naked. And he said, whoa, man. Come on now. And that's where we get woman from. And so what we find is right there in creation is that men are made where their eyes is what causes them to say, whoa, man. 
Women are made very differently from that. You got to study it to find out. It's worth an investment of your time and energy to figure this out. And so what we have then is when Jesus said these words, he said, the two shall become one flesh. I believe there are five major areas that we will spend the rest of our lives becoming one flesh in, in marriage. The first one is spiritually. Would you say spiritually? Now, I believe we should always start with becoming one spiritually. And the reason being is that if you get that one right, everything else has a tendency to fix itself. But if you get that one wrong, it, it feels like building a house on a faulty foundation. So if you become one spiritually, well, how do you become one spiritually? What you do is you place Jesus as Lord of your life. The man does that. Then the woman placed Jesus as Lord of her life, and then they have a common focus. And so this is where most marriage counselors have learned that, you know what, two people are not going to get along perfectly who are heading towards each other, but rather if they have the same vision, the same goal, they're walking in the same direction. That's where they're going to bond. And so you want to make Jesus your common direction and become one spiritually, one flesh spiritually. Then out of that is going to flow your emotions. And so we are meant to become one emotionally. And this is a challenge because what we find is that men have a different set of emotions than women do. And women have a different set of emotions than men do. And so what we learn to do is honor each other's emotional makeup. You know that men are often more... Um, driven, and their emotions are fulfilled by conquering the next thing. Not so, women. Women, here's a good little tip for your husband. This is a tough time emotionally for men because it is harder to conquer the next thing in this era than it has ever been before in the in past hundred years. That's because everything we used to conquer is, is now unconquerable because of the pandemic and people and the strife and the division and the era we're in. So what you want to do is you want to support your husband recognizing that he's conquering maybe 25 to 50% of what he was conquering before. And you want to honor him as he still has, finds emotional fulfillment in conquering the next thing that God gave him to conquer. How can, how can men support their wives emotionally? I don't have a clue. Let's move on. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. One of, the <laughs> one, one of the best lessons I've learned in this is, you know, men, just be there for her. She might be over here, you know, this moment and over here this moment. It's okay. Just be there for her. You know what I'm saying? Just be there and be a sounding board for her. And that's really going to help her as, as her emotions. Because, you know, sometimes a woman's uh, actual hormonal DNA is going to make her much more elastic, elastic, elasticity, the, the elastic than a man. In other words, it's going to stretch like a rubber band. And it's going to swing you over here, and it's going to swing you over there, and swing you right back in about five times in a day. 
praise the Lord, just be there to support her. Honey, did I get that accurate? Is it? Okay, all right, okay, there we go. So, so spiritually, you want to you you come in one flesh, emotionally and then socially. And I find a lot of marriages get this one wrong because what they assume is that he can have friends, her, his friends, and she can have her, her friends. And if you do that, you are breeding division. What you want to do is you want to find the same friends. And so as you will come together socially and build your relationships around that social, you'll, you'll do better for it. Then mentally, oh yeah, you actually want to humble yourself and find things that stimulate the brain equally so. And then if you get those right sexually, is actually a mirror of how you're doing the first four. Come on now. Sexually, is, it becomes a mirror of how well you're doing the first four. So this becoming one flesh is a journey. It's a lifetime of learning. It's a changing story. Yesterday's rules don't work for today because we are people and we're growing and we're changing at all times. And so you have to be a little bit lax with the rules and focus on the relationship. My wife and I found out something about each other. You know, um, we had marriage fights just like anybody else. In this process, we found out we didn't think alike. Found out we didn't feel alike. We found out that, um, that you know, that there's, just, there's a lot of areas that, that we just, we, didn't, we weren't compatible but what we learned is, is that we both had spiritual passion for Jesus. And so we'd get into a good humdinger of a fight. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else have those? Where, you know, you know emotions are getting high and words are getting loud and, and uh, all of that. And what we learned to do is this. is I'd pull away and I'd get on my knees before the Lord and I'd say, Lord, my prayer is this. Would you please change me first? I give you permission to work me over and change me. Don't even touch my wife. Just, just work on me. Change me first because I'm the person who needs to change in this relationship. And so something about that kind of a prayer caused to put me back on my feet again and give me a new perspective. And so I'd come back and I'd, I'd begin to talk. And what I learned was that at the same time, without me knowing it, she had gone into her quiet place and she was praying, Lord, change me first. You don't need to work on him at all. Just, just work me over and shape me and change me first. And once we found out that we were both praying that same prayer at the same time, we knew that we had released a spirit of confusion on the Lord <laughs> because he didn't know whose prayer to answer. So what he just did was said, I'll just change everybody. And he changed us both. And what we found out was that, you know what? That kind of prayer had the, seemed to have the ability to just solve the problem. Some of those problems we never really did get solved. It's just that because I changed and she changed, the problem just kind of dissolved. And that's a good way to go at it, right? Is Lord, change me first. So we become one flesh. Then Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, so, so they are no longer 
two, but one flesh. Let that vision get in your heart and your soul. When you're married, you're no longer two. You are one flesh. You're no longer two separate people. You are one person. You're one new creation. Two that have become molded into one. What therefore God has joined together, what he has meshed together, the two chemicals that he's put together, let not man separate. Oh, the implication is that God can actually put something together and man can actually separate it. Come on now, is anybody hearing me? That it is actually possible for God to join something together and man to separate what God joined together. Oh, it happens all the time. It can even happen spiritually. That's because it says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. What God has joined together, what we find is sometimes man separates. Now, I'm not trying to make a doctrine or theology, and I understand I just crossed some lines right there, and the reason I did is people want rules. No, we're talking relationship. Sometimes what God joins together, man intentionally separates. And what Jesus is saying here is, don't set your will to separate what God has joined together. Set your will to partner with the miracle-working Powerful God to keep joined what God has joined together. And if you'll do that, you'll experience the blessing that God created in the book of Genesis, where he said, it's not good that man should be alone. Therefore, I will create a helper for him. I will create a companion for him. I will create someone who completes him, and he will complete her. You know, it's really interesting that the Bible describes how to create woman, God pulled a rib out of Adam and used that to create Eve. Now, whether that is literal or spiritual is not the issue. What it's saying is that man will no longer be a complete person without her. Woman will no longer be... She, she was made, so she won't be a complete person without him. Once you're married, you require your spouse to complete you. So what you want to do is you want to pour your heart and your soul into making that happen. It's okay to even say to your spouse, dear, you complete me. I'm reminded of when um, we were newlyweds. And uh, my wife and I, I, you know, nobody's really ready for marriage. You can do marriage preparation. You can do marriage counseling, all of that. But nobody's really ready. And so, you know, we just launched into it. And if you know our story, um, she met my parents on a Wednesday. We had rehearsal dinner on Thursday. We got married on Friday. I graduated from college on Saturday, and we left for our honeymoon on Sunday. Praise the Lord. That's the way we did it. And because I had lived in the dorm for the four years of college, and I was a leader of Bible studies and, and whatnot, um, 
you know, these unmarried college students, you know, when you're unmarried, you don't get it. So, you know, now I'm living the married life, and I'll never forget the time that um, about six or seven of these college students showed up in my house at about 11.30 p.m., knocking on the door. And they wanted me to go out and hang out and, or invite them in for coffee or something. In other words, <laughs> like, first of all, my wife didn't know these people. Second of all, I'm married now, and I'm starting a new life, and I'm get, getting up early and whatnot. And I'll never forget how hard it was for me that I actually had to shut the door on them. I said, guys, I'm sorry, I've moved on. I'm married now. I'm newlywed. And, uh, and, and so, so I can't come out and play. <laughs> so they left in grave disappointment. And I shut the door, and I'm like, I'm moving forward with my new life where I am becoming one with my wife. You know what God did? It was less than a year later that he took that investment that we made in our marriage to become one that actually required me to tell these old college unmarried friends back off a little bit. Matter of fact, it was their favorite thing. They'd like, they'd like to call at about 11 p.m. to get counseling. I'm like, I'm married now. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so, so, so I finally learned this, the secret. So they'd call at 11 p.m. and they'd need some counseling and whatnot. And what I'd say is, I tell you what, um, it's, it's a little bit past my bedtime. Can I call you in the morning? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 we, we can do that. So I'd call them about 6.30 a.m. All right, let's do counseling. You know, a few, a few of those phone calls, and I'd all stopped. So we focused on the marriage, and within a year, you know what God did? God gave us a college ministry. It just looked different than it did before. We were married. We had no money, living in a little bitty apartment. And we began to feed these kids, you know, spaghetti and sauce, no meat, and uh, bread and some salad. And then we'd have a small group at night. So we, they'd come to church on Sunday, then we'd feed them all this large amounts of spaghetti or pasta, lots of carbs, you know what I'm saying? You just carve them up. And then say, we'll feed you if you stay for group that night. And we they'd stay for group that night. That little group started off with five, six people, grew to about 15, divided it, broke into another group, grew it again, divided again. Before we knew it, we had about six house churches that we were overseeing and pastoring in that day. But it all began because instead of divide and conquer, what we did was we poured our lives into the marriage and made sure that's priority number one. And then based on that priority, we were able to build everything that God intended for us to build. Would you go ahead and stand with me as we prepare to close the service? Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And this is how I would like to close the service this morning. You may find yourself in a place where something that God has joined together, you have separated. It may be your spiritual life. Maybe God has joined you to the person of Jesus Christ, and you've separated that because of sin and failure. 
And God is offering you a new beginning, a new start this morning. You may also be a person that God has joined you together in a marriage and you separated it because of your sin and your failure. And God is offering you a new beginning this morning. You may be still married, but what God has joined together because of strife and anger and unforgiveness and whatever else, you've been, you can feel the separation happening. And what God is saying to you, I'm giving you a new beginning this morning. I'm offering it to you. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pray together as we just seek the Lord for just a moment and consider these words before the Lord. Have you separated something that God has joined together? God joins people together in marriage. He joins people to Jesus. He, puts, he joins them together in covenant relationship in the local church. He joins them together in covenant relationships in house churches. He just joins people together in covenant relationship. That's because it's what he loves to do. Are you separating that? Or are you partnering with God in what he has joined together. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for all of those, Lord God, who are listening to this message or watching it or here, Father God. And I pray that you would grant us the precious gift of your repentance, Lord God. We know, Lord, that in marriage we'll need that many times over. We'll need to repent many times over so that we can have good quality marriages. We know, Lord God, that as in the local church, we'll need to repent many times over so that we can have good covenant fellowship in the local church, Lord God. We know, Father God, that in our personal relationship with you, we'll need to repent many times over so that we can have a good relationship with you. And I pray this morning that you would grant that precious gift of repentance. And I just thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Church, let's pray this prayer together. Just, just pray this with me for the sake of any who need to repent this morning and get a new beginning. And would you say these words? Say, God, I thank you that you sent Jesus into this world. He went around healing the sick because God was with Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And he was buried in the grave for three days. But God resurrected Jesus. And now Jesus rules in heaven. Now, Jesus, I ask that you'd come rule in my heart. I repent of my sins. And I ask that you'd give me a new beginning, a new hope, and a new life. Give me the joy of the Lord. Restore to me the joy of the Lord. Grant me your peace and your presence of your Holy Spirit. And I thank you that I have a new beginning even this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's close on worship, Brandon. Let's just close on, on a spirit of worship. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week podcast. Sermons are live casted every Sunday, 10 a.m. Central, on Facebook and YouTube. Find out more about us by visiting our Facebook page or visiting our website at Abundant.us.